Okay, everyone, uh, before we dive too deep into this podcast, I'd like to welcome you guys to episode one of the podcast. Um, so these first four episodes of the podcast that are going to play are pre-recorded from a while ago. So they are a little bit outdated, but some of them have some such good information in them that I couldn't bring myself to just not post them. Uh, while I was kind of thinking about restarting up another podcast, uh, some of you may or may not know that I did run a different podcast for a while some years back and uh, have since let that die. And now I have started this one up uh, solo with no one else helping me. And I wanted to uh, get this going. These episodes were recorded at the beginning of last hunting season, the 2021 season. Uh, so like I said, they are a little bit outdated. We're coming up on the 2022 hunting season, uh, but life kind of caught up with me. Things got busy. Um, I didn't have the time to put in, but now I have the time to put in, put this content out there for you guys and post some stuff on the YouTubes as well. Um, so before we dive too deep into this podcast, this little intro is going to be on the first four videos of or the first four podcasts that get released um, so that you guys know what's kind of going on and why some of the information might be a little bit outdated. Uh, but trust me, we do have some more current stuff that is going to be coming up and uh we're gonna release podcasts hopefully once a week and then uh i'd like to get up to two times a week uh after the hunting season so without further ado enjoy the podcast enjoy gavin he's a really great dude um thanks have a great day all right everybody welcome back to another podcast uh today i got probably one of my best hunting friends and best friends in general, uh, Gavin Benton on. Uh, Gavin lives damn near halfway across the country from, actually you do live halfway across the country from me. <laughs> um, but uh, I'd say over the last five years, Gavin and I have probably sent in total 30,000 text messages or messages about hunting and archery in general to each other and pretty much tinkered with anything that you can think of. So uh, without further ado, Gavin's on today. We're just going to kind of BS, talk some hunting, talk some archery, and uh, kind of catch up live with you guys. So Gavin, why don't you just take a minute, kind of introduce yourself, let them know where you're from, where you're at now, and... Uh, I don't even remember how we met. Maybe you do, but if, if you remember, we can cover that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so uh, like you said, my name is Gavin. Uh, I'm originally from Wyoming and spent most of my life there, um, but all of my adult life until now. I just recently moved to Oregon, so that's been quite a change. Um, I'm super excited to get into the, the Blacktail and Roosevelt woods here. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it was, we just met on that um, heavy arrow page, you know, I mean, just kind of, kind of BSing about different setups and, you know, we hadn't totally went off the deep end and, and accepted that, that uh, you want all the weight, you know, right. and we had just kind of talked about it and, and obviously had, had fairly similar mindsets on it and just kind of went from there but yeah man we've sent 
some insane amount of messages and <laughs> you know i mean e-scouting and all sorts of stuff man it's i i looked through our chat the other day and i've got like there's probably more pin pins sent between the two of us looking at like hey hey check this out for me or would you look at this and see what this looks like on google earth while i'm searching it on onyx <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i i always i always used to joke around with people i'd say uh, if anybody ever hacked our facebook and got gavin and my's messages they would have so many honey holes of hunting spots to go to <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and so uh, yeah like gavin was saying we've we've known each other a long time we pretty much messed around with everything uh that's out there from stupid heavy to stupid light arrow setups uh tuning methods i'd say between the two of us we've had to have shot dang near every bow on compound and traditional out there uh or pretty close to it um and as far as like string manufacturers i think we've pretty much tried them all um yeah between the the two of us uh, so as far as like, if I ever need to bounce an idea off somebody, Gavin is definitely the first person I reach out to to bounce an idea off of, and then it's Bruce right after that. Uh, so uh, Gavin is a wealth of knowledge. We'll probably dive into some pretty technical stuff throughout this once we start talking about bows, because that's where Gavin and I kind of nerd out is... Uh, bow setups and shot process and the mental game and all that all that goes into that especially when gavin peer pressured me into traditional archery um, it didn't take much i mean it didn't it didn't he it was it was more of a conversation of dude this is really awesome you should try it uh i don't know I really think you'd like it. Okay, I'll buy one. <laughs> and then I bought one. Um, but Yeah, and then it was, what, six months? And you're like, hey, I think I'm going to try to get into self-bows. And you were shooting wood arrows. And, and you just went off the deep, deep end. <laughs> yeah, but it was crazy because, like, I dove into that traditional world and – we've had this conversation before a ton of times but we've never had it like in a live setting we're like you you kind of got the shit end of the stick when it came to traditional though because you oh, had yeah. to learn everything yourself and when i jumped in you were at least six months deep and oh no man i was three years deep into tinkering with it yeah but you were you were like six months deep into solely traditional oh yeah yeah just right. completely setting the compound down yeah it was six or eight months yeah right and so when i switched over to a traditional bow it was super easy for me right off the bat because you didn't let me develop any of the habits that you had developed so i instantly was seeing a lot of success with it and i think that's why i got so addicted to it so fast yeah yeah no i man i i nerded out on that on the joel turner stuff with the mental control and because that was one of the issues i had with the compound you know is i i get into a high pressure situation and i didn't really get it too bad with targets until i started in like a competition man and i would just break down i could not keep the mental focus and uh so i listened to a joel turner uh a podcast with him and, I, and it just clicked So I I dove off the deep end with with his stuff. And then in searching his stuff, also come across the the Tom Clum um, 
all of his teachings, you know, and man, between those two, my, I, I went to, I mean, just, just a whole nother realm of, of shot control and, and form it. It's insane. You know, the amount that you can learn from, from those guys. So by the time I had told you, Hey, you ought to try this. I was already so far deep into that, that, it was really cool because I could just be like, hey, this is what Tom Clum says about that. Or, hey, this is what Joel says about about that, you know. And, and it was really easy because if you had an issue that would pop up, I mean, it was 10 minutes and, and we had looked it up and, and found the solution. And so right. it, it didn't let you have the time or the amount of arrows shot in a poor situ- situation to gain any kind of habits. So, I mean, when you jumped out of that, man, it was just like, perfect you know you were able to just dial it in and you were dropping some pretty impressive bombs out there with that stick bow right and and one thing like i don't know if you noticed this since we've picked the compounds back up so when i sat the compound down i was a i i would say an above average shooter um i wouldn't say i was a levi morgan you know but then i went to the trad bow and i was well above average with the trad bow and then oh, yeah. I came Honestly, back to a compound. <laughs> yeah, because most people are shooting twenty yards. Uh, yeah, and and plucking. <laughs> right. Um, but then when I picked the compound back up, it was a totally different ball game when I picked it back up because I developed all these good habits from shooting trad. That when mm-hmm. I came back to a compound, it was almost just like I forgot it. I just forgot the bad habits and was only ingrained with the good habits that I had from traditional. Because I think a lot of people, since we've done both, it's a little different. Uh, I think a lot of people that are just solely traditional or solely compound shooters or compound shooters that dabble in traditional, like when you dive into traditional and then you go back to a compound, they're extremely similar. Yeah, they really are. I mean, in, in shot mechanics, they're they're identical, really. I mean, it's it's get back to your anchor and aim, and then it's separating your your mental self out of the equation to be, you know, you're not letting your subconscious run your shot. You're you're staying in control, and and then you're adding tension, and you know, I mean, it's it's the same no matter what, uh, mechanics wise. Right, and so like the weird thing, like. I just noticed this the other day. I was shooting at like 90 yards. Just I like pulled up to the range, got out of the truck, ranged 90 yards, put my sight to it, like cold shot 90 yards, boom, right double lung, right behind the shoulder. And I was like, and for those of you guys that don't know, like my old bow, I had like a 10-inch stabilizer at the front, an 8-inch stabilizer at the back. I was tinkering with weights left and right, and I was shooting good out to 100 yards. But this bow that I'm shooting right now, I don't have a stabilizer on it at all. Like I have nothing on my bow. It's just a, it's an option 7 with a sight and a, and a rest. I mean good sight and a good rest, but like I don't have any extra stabilization, nothing. And I'm out here just dropping these bombs at 90 yards like, dude, I could never do that before I shot a trad bow. And right, yeah. It was just – it was so weird. It was like an aha moment where I was like, is this me just becoming a better archer or is this me like taking the things that I learned in traditional? Because you remember I took Tom Combs' course. 
Like I actually took his course and I was like, is this just an aha moment for me where I'm just like clicking these two things together or am I just becoming a better archer in general? And I firmly believe that if I went to switch to a trad bow, I wouldn't be near as efficient now as I am with a compound. Like granted, I killed a bunch of stuff with a compound before, but now I'm just like, I don't even think about it. You know, I just, I'm out here. Like when I shot my buck this year, I didn't even think about it. It just, right. it just happened and the shot went where I want it. The second shot did not go where I wanted it, but the first shot went right where I wanted it. And I was like, wow, this is a totally different ball game than what I remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, maybe it's cause like, unfortunately I wish that you would have been able to shoot something with your stick bow when you were in Wyoming that first season that we both solely hunted with a stick bow. Cause yeah. I shot a deer and then I ended up shooting a doe with it and then I shot a turkey and then I think I shot another deer with it. And so I shot like four animals with the stick bow and you busted your ass that season. No, man, it was so hard. It was such a hard season. Because didn't you have an opportunity at at a huge bear and a nice elk? Yeah, I, uh, I went with uh, one of my cousins, and we were um, we we f- found this really nasty bowl with this island of timber in it, and it was it was a three mile hike into it, and then you climb down this face, and I mean it was steep, like almost rock slide steep face, you know, right? Um, Nine hundred feet vertical down into the bottom and then you come 900 feet back up and man i got it i i bet he was probably 330s conservatively i mean he was he was a really nice bull for i mean especially for a stick bow right and i had him at 25 yards and he just would not give me the shot you know and i come to full draw two or three times on him just waiting for him to step out one more one more thing, you know, and he just would would never commit to it. Um, and then one morning I was going into there to uh, to get on that bull again and come across, uh, I mean, just a tank of a bear. And kind of the same situation. I got within 30 and was just ready to drop the hammer on him, and, and he just would not give me a good shot. I just wasn't comfortable sending an arrow on a hard quartering shot with a stick bow. You know, I'm like, man, with a compound at 30, I'd have just sent it. But there's just too many variables. So I just let it pass. But Right. Now, do you think think it would have upset you more if you had taken a shot and missed with the stick bow? Or the fact that you were limited to the stick bow on two very very respectable animals with archery equipment that you know you could have killed with a compound um man i don't know because i come back and i was like i was just tore up i mean i was just absolutely destroyed i was pissed off you know i spent 10 days hunting and i don't know if it was just because i was just tired and wore out and you know how you just kind of get pissy at, you know, you haven't right. eaten anything but mountain houses. And <laughs> you're just like, 
I don't know. Maybe it's just you're hangry. I don't know. Right. And you, you haven't shit <laughs> in like home. three days <laughs> from Mountain House. Yeah, you've eaten 12 pounds of just salt out of those mountain houses. <laughs> but uh, right. I come off the mountain and I was just like, I'm done. I'm not doing this stick bow again. I'm pissed off. I can't do it. And I went back home and I posted, I had a black widow and I posted it up and I sold it like two days later and I bought another compound. And then I'm like just getting this compound sighted in, you know, and I'm just like, nah, it just doesn't have what I want. Right. No, it's just, it just doesn't have the same feeling, the, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and in my defense, all right, everybody that's listening to this, I told Gavin not to sell it. I I I told him at least three times, at least three times, not to sell it because he would regret it. You did, yeah. I, I believe that's what you said too. You're like, you know, you're just pissed off from the hunt. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, that's what I said. And then, and then I shit you not. I shit you not. Twenty five minutes later, I get a notification on my phone that Gavin posted something on one of the trad pages that we were on. So obviously, I'm gonna click on it, and I click on it, and I see his bow for sale. And I was like, God damn it! I just messaged him and told him not to put that thing for sale. And yeah. and then I think I texted you. I was like, Bro, take that thing down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know it's man. I, I I don't know. So I'm really torn on being upset that i sold it because i loved that widow man it was it was great but having a 30 inch draw length and it being a 58 inch bow because it was that kb so it's the short riser yeah with the it was a short riser with the long limbs um i just think it was a little short for me you know and uh so i'm torn because i had i not had that just hard season and just and just sold it i don't think i ever would have just bit the bullet and ordered myself a new black widow um but that's what i'm doing now i'm ordering myself one of their new g10 risers and uh the carbon limbs on a psa so this one's gonna be the a 62 inch which is the longest they have for that psa so yeah, yeah. That, that 62 I, inch will do very very well for you because i mean for those of you guys that don't know gavin like i'm a fucking midget i i'm i'm five foot eight i have a 27 and a half inch draw length a 28 on a recurve like i'm a i'm a small dude all right gavin is not a small guy gavin is probably <laughs> at least six inches taller than me and yeah i'm six one and a 30 inch draw length so. right and and so when it comes to like bows that I like, I, I can't go, hey, Gavin, you're going to like this bow. Other than there's only been one bow that we both agreed was probably the best shooting bow that we ever had, and that was those impulses. Oh, man, that thing was such a tap driver. Those things were so sweet. I think you had the 34, though, and I had the 31. Yeah. Yeah, yep. but, oh, God, those bows were so good, and... I, I don't know if it was necessarily the bow itself. See, here we go, going down a rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily the bow itself. I think it was more or less like that cam system. Like that that whole system, that, that true binary system where you set it and forget it, I think is what we liked the mm-hmm. best. 
because we were so technical that if we took the extra time at the first go around tuning it, you basically didn't have to worry about it the rest of the time until you change strings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so easy and it's so, so maintenance free, really. You know right. what I mean? You get into to some of these other cam systems, like, like, like the, the Hoyt cam and a half, man. That thing is just a bear. You are constantly having to add a little twist here and a little twist there and pulling cam lean out and, you know, setting timing. And now I, mean, I, yeah. I tuned a bow that I haven't shot before, like recently mm-hmm. uh, for a customer. And I was going to message you about this, but I got busy. And so what better time to talk about it than right now? Um, yeah. The Prime CT5. Okay. So 35-inch axle-to-axle, so a little bit longer than what we both prefer. Like, I tend to be mm-hmm. in that 33 is kind of my max. But uh, it, And luckily, this customer was left-handed. So for me, I was, like, chomping at the bit when he dropped this thing off. I was like, oh, I'm going to play with this. <laughs> and he was the same right. draw length as me. So I was like, I was like, this is perfect. I'm like, I'm gonna mess with this thing. I'm gonna take an extra couple days to get this back to him. I was like, I'm gonna go shoot this thing, and uh, dude, that system, insane, absolutely insane. Um, so your your cam has two tracks on it. You know that Prime has had mm-hmm. that forever. So yep. when I was tuning it, I first measured to to the center uh to to find like my lefts and rights Mm -hmm. and it was like at like an inch is where it was and and the string was sitting way off to the right of the grip i was like this isn't right what is going on here and so immediately i was like all right well maybe the two tracks it acts like a yoke system and i'll add a couple twists on one side and see if that works so i Mm -hmm. did that it changed it a little bit not a whole lot well, everything on the Prime, like I'm talking literally everything, as long as you set cam timing, everything is done with that Flexus roller guard. Yeah, so I've heard a lot about that. Yeah. And, and so what I did is is the guy who set his bow up originally just cranked that Flexus all the way down. Oh, okay. Because he probably, because I did it myself, I put it in the press and the Flexus was loose. I was like, oh, this probably needs to be tightened, Right. Mm-hmm. And so he probably cranked it all the way down. Well, after digging into this thing for like a half hour, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, all right, well, maybe this is like the elite system. I'll I'll loosen up this Flexus like two turns and see what happens. Loosen right. it up two turns. Shot one. I literally shot one arrow out of it before I took it to the range. And it was a bear shaft. Instant bullet hole. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? This thing right? is awesome. I was like, this is sweet. So then I went and started shooting it, and oh, my God. You know how the older, like the Synergy and the Ion, they had that like that weird twang to them? Yep. Like on the mm-hmm. shot? The right. black, like So the Black Series and the CT5 and the Logic Series don't have mm-hmm. that anymore. Yeah. I was talking to uh, um, Matt Baum, uh-huh. and uh, he was bragging up that – that black five and i was like oh come on man like you know the, the i mean the last uh prime i shot was the synergy and i was like oh come on they can't be that good and i i went down to the bow shop and they had one so while they were tuning my bow i was like hey can i shoot this and they're like oh yeah go ahead 
I pulled it down and I sent an arrow through there. And I, I just, just put, put it, it back. I'm like, I am going to walk out of here with a brand new bow if I don't put it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they shoot so good for like, I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of shit on them for a long time uh, because it one, it's a system that not a lot of people really understand. Mm-hmm. And number two, they had that twang issue for so long where like you could get it to shoot so good, but it was just genuine like generally a loud bow yeah and Mm. so for me that was just an instant nope pass you know uh because i like my stuff to be as quiet as possible Uh, Mm -hmm. but i'll tell you what i don't know what they got going on over there but they're doing something right because that bow shot really really nice and i was i was thoroughly impressed with it i i'm not gonna lie yeah yeah i was too um you know what the other bow that man i fell in love with but it was i just could not bring myself to to buy a, a brand new compound and order a new recurve um i was going to get that uh pse the dudley one um the nxt oh yeah yeah wait the nxt or the ntn uh i think the ntn is the dudley one the yeah, nxt but... is the non so yeah. it would have been the ntn yeah 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 i think that's yeah. right which I've heard a lot of good things about those bows too. My only gripe I have with them, oh god, I think they are the ugliest thing ever, dude. Dude, they are not a pretty bow. <laughs> they not are not. All, no, they they <laughs> do not look good. Like, don't get me wrong, Dudley's got it going on. He knows what he's doing. Um, but god, that is an ugly fucking bow, dude. <laughs> yeah, they are. They and are it sucks because they ugly, got but... they got some cool camos. They, I think they're one of the only dude. ones that come in Kuyu now. Yeah, well, and they've got the first light as well. Yeah, so yeah, and that's I switched all my gear over to first light, and so I was like, oh man, that's kind of cool. You know, I can get my bow to match my camo, and right, yeah, and uh, but yeah, man, I. I one of my buddies back in Wyoming, he, he bought the, the NXT and, mm-hmm. um, I, I went in and I was shooting my, uh, recurve and he's like, Hey, you ought to try my new bow. And I, I shot that thing a little bit. And I'm like, man, that, that is sweet. Yeah. And, they're, they're very efficient too. They're yeah. super, super efficient. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what I was, where I was going is, as I grabbed a couple of my heavy arrows out of my, my compound case and, and went down there and slung them through that thing and and i was blown away at how little it dropped the speed you know i mean i was pushing um i think i was at 245 with those 750 grain rampages i built right and that was the only arrows i had laying around so i kind of had an idea where i was at with that impulse and i stuck it on that thing and cranked one out there and i was at like 252 for one and then 255 i'm like holy shit that's 10 feet a second faster for and he his was at 65 pounds and my impulse was at 70 so right i was like man that is cranking out there for such a heavy arrow oh dude those those things are insane that when i was down in texas there was a guy who had a 60 pound one and he was mm-hmm. shooting it was it wasn't the the Dudley one it was the Evoke series like that okay, Evoke yeah. cam it was mm-hmm. the Evoke 33 i want to say and it was 60 pounds and he was shooting like a 580 grain arrow at like 280 feet per second dang 
That's and, pretty impressive. And, and dude was like a 28-inch draw length. I was like, what right. the hell? I was like, <laughs> it's so insane. Like, nowadays, like, I think if you go back five years, there was a bigger difference between bows. Like, when you and I first started, like, talking, that was when, like, the Halon series was coming out. And, like, right. a lot of these bow companies were finally changing cam systems. Mm-hmm. And now that I think that they're getting – they're kind of figuring out their cam systems, across the board, I'm sure we can both agree, Gavin, cam systems really haven't changed since the Halon era. I hate to use Matthews as a reference, but since the Halon era, cam systems in general really haven't changed. They've just uh, tweaked minor things to make them more efficient. Yeah, I mean, you've seen that, though, through the bow technology. I mean, for as long as I've been alive, they'll run basically the same cam system with little tweaks here and there for, I mean, pushing 10 years, you know. Um, Hell, Bowtech ran that binary, what they call the binary system. The overdrive. No, didn't they call it overdrive binary? Yeah, that's when they got into the, the destroyer. And oh, all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. When they mean. started having the bad limb issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they ran that si- similar cam system for, you know, 10 years. And then they, they finally come out with, with something new, is what they say. I mean, they stole it from Darton. So they haven't, nobody's really come out with a new cam system in 25 years, really. Other than Prime. You know? Right, yeah. I mean, everybody's just kind of running that the same stuff with with better engineering to it. Right. Yeah. It seems like every year it's like, all right, let's make this cam bigger and more circular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's smoother and yeah. somehow faster. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting over here like Jesus Christ. Like, we're just gonna add more circles to everything and make them bigger. Like, I can do that. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, blow. All right. We're gonna take last year's design. Add twenty five percent and call it good, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you better throw a cool set of flames or something on the side of it to make it look aesthetically pleasing, and then call it some fancy new name. <laughs> <laughs> when when the V three from Matthews came out, I said, mm-hmm. you know what the V three stands for, right? Verdicts the third time, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, because that's what it was. It was the verdicts, the VXR, and then the V three. It was the same thing. Like, yeah. First of all, what does the V even stand for? Like, yeah. Well, they did the same thing with the triax. You know. Yeah. They, they had the, the triax, and then they had the the next year, and then they had the T three as well. And it's the same thing. Like you'd set them next to each other, and it's like almost a mirror image of the bow it's just a fancy new branding right and and it's different uh and just so you guys know we're not like crapping on anybody we just we've literally shot everything so like we we can look at all these things and compare them and go all right this is new this isn't you know and mm-hmm. and so like but one thing i will say i know that you've always kind of been a hoyt guy like gen- yeah. generally a Hoyt or an elite guy, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I've always been either an elite, mostly an elite guy, and then I'll tinker with whatever is the least popular bow out there. So a Prime or like a PSC. <laughs> well, not PSC anymore, 
I'll, I'll basically pick up a second bow that's like less common just because that's how I am. Um, right. But one thing I will say is like Hoyt over the last few years, I have a I have a Helix Ultra right now also. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't shoot it near as much as the Option 7 just because uh, that 7-inch brace height, I'm just really liking having that 7-inch brace height, which the Ultra has as well. Mm-hmm. But I just like the feel of that elite back wall and uh, the valley and all that stuff. So that's what keeps me shooting that elite. But I'll tell you what, I think everybody hypes up those those carbon bows from Hoyt. I would pick an aluminum bow from Hoyt over one of those carbons any day of the week. Man, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I mean they're they're cool looking, you know. And they, the one thing that the carbon does have going for it is it's it's warm to the touch when it's cold you know i mean when it is bitter cold it just does not get so frigid right i mean honestly you know is that worth the twice the money (laughs) i don't don't think so and unpopular opinion but i think the carbons are a lot louder they are yeah absolutely i definitely think Um, that they're louder yeah, and I, I don't know if it, maybe it's that tubular design where it's, you know, it's hollow in the center. So it, um, well, I guess they fill it with something. I don't remember what they fill it with, but it's not solid carbon. Um, and I don't know if maybe it's just that where it kind of resonates through it or or what. But it definitely seems like the aluminum's toned down a lot faster than the carbons do. Right, and... And another thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, I see it all the time now, especially like working on bows for myself instead of in a bow shop where I, I see a lot of different bows, is a lot of people will bring them to me and be like, oh, this bow's loud. Well, it's not loud. It's just not tuned. You know, and, and that's with any bow. You take, you take any bow that's not properly tuned and not properly synced, and it's going to be loud. Uh, I... One thing I've noticed a lot lately is there's a problem with people putting... I don't know where they're getting this idea. I didn't see this three years ago, and I know you didn't see it three years ago. But people are putting their their D-loops, like, so freaking high. Oh, yeah. For mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if they're trying to get more out of their sight tape or what. But... The I, last I couple know. bows I've seen, the the D loops have been ridiculously high, and I don't know if that's like just a new trend. That because you know as well as I do, these trends come and go through the archery scene so fast. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just a trend that's going on or what, but I've seen a lot of them that that are coming through that have uh, that are just way too knock high, and yeah. And they, they bring it to me and they're like, well, tune my bow, fix it. And I literally cut their D-loop off, tie a new D-loop on, make sure that the cams are synced, shoot it, and it's instantly quieter. I'm like, there you yeah. go. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you're not sending that arrow right down the center of your bow, you know, you're going to be not transferring all the energy into the arrow. Therefore, all the energy that's left over is going into your bow. That's where you're getting twang from. Right. And I'm not trying to tell people, like, don't mess with your own stuff like go ahead mess with your own stuff like that's how gavin and i learned like i can't tell you how much stuff like i've made adjustments on and i was like all right gavin i fucked this up i don't know what i did what do we got to do to fix this because i can't yeah. hit the broad side of a barn and vice versa gavin's done it to 
the same way and he's like all right i can't figure this out how do we fix this you know so go ahead tweak with your stuff but like just realize you're not a bow technician ask for help you know right ask for help if you need help figuring it out don't go to facebook don't go to facebook (laughs) yeah another thing is don't just go throwing your bow into a press and just start twisting away uh i have seen so many guys that will just you know toss their bow in in a press and just start cranking you know adding twists to the strings or adding twists to the cables or guys trying to get more speed out of their bows so they're just adding twists trying to get some more speed and then blowing them up you definitely need to have reason with what you're doing you know right um because i I would hate for somebody to be like oh you guys told me to tinker with my bow right Uh, it's all within reason there's a there's a set limit of things that your bow can do don't push it (laughs) yeah don't don't push it in like just like gavin said we we would hate for you guys to go messing with your stuff and then blow it up so like another thing that just simply people miss i can't tell you how many people I just had a guy two weeks ago drop his bow off to me. He's like, dude, I don't know what I did. I blew my bow up. He didn't really blow it up. He derailed it. And so it was like mm-hmm. – and he drove two hours to come drop it off. So ballsy on that guy, you know, yeah, uh, to drive with it in his case in the cab of his truck, not Ooh. in the bed of his truck. <laughs> in the cab of his truck while it's locked on those on those cables. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you wouldn't catch me doing that. Uh, <laughs> right. that. That shit would have been riding in the bed of the truck. Uh, yeah, the with ticking the, time bomb right there. With the tonneau cover up in case it blew up. <laughs> you know, I, geez, I ain't doing that. But, oh, man. Uh, he drove two hours down to me, and he's like, he's like, well, I, w- I put it in the press, and then I went to go draw it back. And it was as simple as he didn't check to make sure everything was sitting in the grooves. You know? Yep. So you got to realize, like, when you first start tinkering with bows, it can be very, very anxiety-inducing because we spend a lot of money on this stuff. A, a lot of oh, it, yeah. you know. Like some people spend two, three months worth of paychecks to get a nice hunting setup. The last thing you want to do is blow it up. So just use your head. You know how I learned was I would do everything one at a time. Now I can literally take everything off of the bow and have a no strings on it and put everything back on no matter what the bow is and be totally fine it's gonna shoot great but i've done it tons and tons and tons of times like if you're first starting and you need to change your strings do them one at a time take one cable look at it take what i did is i used to take a lot of pictures I would, yeah. I would take pictures of the bottom cam and then I would take pictures of the top cam. And I always did bottom cam first and then top cam. That way when mm-hmm. I went back in my photo reel, I knew which one was bottom and which one was top. Yep. And then if I put the bow back together – and then another thing, I would take a picture of the center roller guard uh, to see which way which cables were routed where. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which yeah. one was in the front or the back or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And take pictures. You know, Take it apart, put it back together, and then – Compare it to the to the pictures, and you won't run into any problems. And just make sure everything's in its groove. Just don't go in there twisting because you read something on archery talk or on Facebook, and next thing you know, you draw your bow back, you punch yourself in the face, you launch an arrow to Jesus, and you throw your bow on the ground because you're pissed. You know, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the last thing we want you guys to do. Like, 
it's it's not hard, but it just be patient with it. <laughs> yeah. So you know what's another thing though before we jump off this that I've seen yeah. a lot of guys do is I don't know where it come from, but somebody marketed out that a 70 pound bow spines out with a 340 arrow shaft always oh, god don't do that <laughs> please don't do that <laughs> i know there i have seen so many guys down at the archery range and they're like man i've got this you know and i can't get it to shoot and i look at his arrow and i'm like well that's because you're shooting a 340 you know you got a 30 inch draw length and you've got 125 grain head and and all the especially with this new trend which i i like it where guys are shooting these arrow systems you know like there was a guy the other day running a valkyrie system and i was like damn like good on you man that's a that's a bomb ass setup yeah they're good the valkyrie but then he's running a 340 arrow off of a 70 pound bow i'm I'm like, like dude you've got 200 grains up front on this 340 shaft out of a 70 pound bow and you've got a 29 inch draw length i'm like you are underspined like a son of a bitch right and he could not get his arrows to fly and i'm like dude and i handed him one of those my arrows you know i'm shooting those the axis with the uh ethics system on it yeah what uh, are you shooting the full aluminum or are you shooting aluminum stainless i'm just shooting their new stainless collars and then oh, the, with a with the a hit, hit yeah, with a hit, yeah, yep. Yep, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. So I hand that guy one of those. I'm like, dude, try this, and he puts that on his bow, and the wop, man, and that thing is just a screamer. You know, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better flying arrow. It was just right. money, and I was like, yep, there's your problem, and I, I, I just cannot believe that guys at bow shops let people walk out with that kind of misinformation you know right like and, don't just build yeah. these people arrows tell them what they need Ex- do you do a little bit of communication and tell them why they need it you know right yeah and and you know that's something not to plug my business because i i've done that enough throughout the other podcast that you guys are going to listen to but at, with birdie bowsmithing like that's that's what sets me apart from other people. And Gavin and I talked about this in depth when I was going over my pricing sheet. Is I, when I first started, I was only charging forty bucks to tune a bow. And Gavin's like, "Bro, you cannot be charging people forty bucks to tune bows for how much shit you you do." And I was like, "Well, I mean, but I'm a new business." He goes, "It doesn't matter." He goes, "People are gonna pay to have it done right." So now I have a two system setup where it's $60 if you want it uh, put into spec, paper tuned, and broadhead tuned out to 40 yards. And it's $120. Actually, I think I changed it. It's $80 for that. And it's $120 if you want me to. Uh, broadhead tune it out to 100 yards and the only reason it costs a little bit more to do it out to 100 yards is because now i gotta sit and shoot hundreds of fucking arrows out of your bow uh, to get it (laughs) to to get it perfect you know to get it yes i could shoot 10 arrows at 100 yards and go all right this guy's not going to be able to shoot that good this is good enough no i'm going to shoot it to where your broadheads and field points are touching at 100 yards Right. and that's just plain and simple i don't care if you're a 30 inch draw and i'm shooting it with my t-rex arms I can shoot that far accurately because I've, I've just tuned enough bows. 
and, and Gavin can do the same thing. Gavin can pick up a 25-inch bow and shoot it out to 70 yards just fine. He's just not going to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, definitely not comfortable. <laughs> and so when I get when I have a customer's bow, the big thing for me is I don't just tune it and go, here's your bow back. I go, all right, this is what was wrong with it when it came here. This is what I did to fix it. And this is why I did it because this is how it's going to – this is why it, this way is better. You know? Right. And I do it the same way with arrows. I've had guy, uh, this guy, he came in. I have his bow here now because I didn't put new strings on it. Um, and he didn't want to buy new strings. He, he just wanted me to tune it. And I was like, hey – these strings are going to fray because just how the Hoyt system was. And uh, mm-hmm. I was like, these strings are going to fray. Well, sure as shit, three weeks later, he calls me. He's like, hey, I got new strings. Can you put these on and retune my bow? I was like, yep, <laughs> not a problem. So I put them on, and the first time he dropped his bow off, he was shooting FMJs. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I keep blowing these arrows up, this, that, and the other thing. Well, while he was there, I took out my... Uh, arrow spinner and like half of them were crooked well it's an fmj i was well yeah i know all right (laughs) and he drops his bow off to me a couple days ago he's got all brand new easton axis match grade (laughs) all built up 300 spine and with the ethics system in the front and uh aae stealth on the back i was like Mm -hmm. i was like watch this thing's gonna shoot like a dream now you know and so it it comes down to just like knowing what what your customer and what not even just your customer your friends and your hunting partners are doing to literally sit and figure out what they need in a setup not necessarily what they want because what they want and what they need are two totally different things yeah yeah exactly because, like you said, I don't know who told people that you can shoot a 340 spine out of a 70-pound bow at 30 inches, but you can't. You, you just can't. Just like I tuned a Martin bow. You remember this bow, the Martin? Oh, I did. That, that thing was insane. <laughs> so uh, quick, quick detour story time down this rabbit hole. I get this Martin bow from this guy who shoots for Martin, and he's like, oh, I can't get this thing to tune. Can you tune it for me? I messed with this bow for, I'm not even kidding you, like typically I can knock a bow out in less than an hour. Like from nothing on it to fully built and shooting a bullet hole in about an hour. And I got this bow and I'm not even shitting you, Gavin. I tuned that thing for six fucking days, bro. Oh, I know. I, 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 <laughs> I was at work the first day that you got it and you're like, hey, I just got the new Martin in. It's pretty... You know, and you were you were bragging it up and t- saying how you liked it, and, and well, then like I shot a two three days, one. yeah. Well, <laughs> and then like three days later, you're like you're talking. You're, you, I you message me. And you're like, hey, uh, what do you think I'm doing something wrong here? And I'm like, no, why? I'm like, you. We went through everything that you were doing. I'm like, yeah, it should be tuned. And you're like, I'm like, why is this the same Martin? You're like, yeah, I can't get this thing tuned. I'm like. Dude, it's been three days. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, dude. I thought you were supposed to be good at this. I'm like, I am good at this. All right, I, I don't know right. what's going on. I, I, I've synced the cams. I've set the timing. Everything's running down the center. It's not shooting. So I ended up calling Martin. 
And he's like, yeah, dude, shoot a 500 spine. I was like, the hell I am shooting a 500 spine out of a 70-pound bow? He goes, he goes, do it. I guarantee it. Fly straight. I go, well, I'm not ballsy enough to shoot a 500 spine out of a 70-pound bow. <laughs> right? And I, I called Bruce because Bruce happened to be in Texas when I had really? it. I was like, I was like, hey, Bruce, you want to come shoot a 500-spine arrow out of a 70-pound bow? He said, absolutely not. I said, exactly. <laughs> so it ended up you actually had to set the bottom cam at half rotation at rest. Dude, that is so ridiculous. To get it to tune with a properly spined arrow. And then so I sent it back to Martin, and the guy who designed the bow tuned it and sent me a video of him shooting it with a 500 spine arrow that weighed 325 grains. Oh, stuff, man. I was, like, just I was like, dude, no way I'm sending my customer out the door with that. Absolutely right. not. It's not happening. I was like, you, I don't know what you guys got going on in your magical engineering lab, but fix that <laughs> shit. All right? Because there's no way I'm sending a customer out the door with a 70-pound bow, a 500-spine arrow that weighs 325 grains and telling him, hey, go shoot a hog with that. Yeah, exactly. Man, it's almost like those um, Alpine. That you, you, did you remember those? I believe it was Alpine. Alpine or Athens? I, I think it was Alpine. Um, I think yeah. Alpine was right before Athens, wasn't it? I think they, they're kind of yeah, one the but, same. But the Athens bows are decent from what I've heard. Yeah, I don't, it's been a long time since I've shot an Athens, but no, I mean, back in the day, they were always, they made their own brand of arrows, so you could shoot, like, this stupid, crazy light arrow, and, like, they built their bows to be shot with a, like, a 70-pound bow is supposed to be shot with, like, a 320-grain arrow, and they push the the speed, and they, they sell, like, 50 and 75-grain heads on their website and these stupid light arrows and it was just like holy crap man that is you were just asking for somebody to to blow a grenade up in their face yeah crap there's there's no way i'm i'm buying into that stuff and just like okay you remember those old browning bows that had the wood limbs yeah it was a compound with wood limbs right yeah I had a guy when I was down in Texas. I, dude, I'm not even kidding you. He walks in with this bow. It had the original strings on it. Whew. And he goes, he goes, will you tune this? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, well, why not? I'll pay you. And I said, you can't pay me enough to draw that thing back. I was like, right. there's no. I said, when was the last time that was shoot? He, it was shot. He goes, oh. Six, seven years ago, I said, bullshit, you did not shoot that six, seven years ago. That thing's been sitting in your garage for 10 years plus. And you just pulled it out and go, and we're like, hey, I'm going to go shoot some pigs this weekend. Absolutely not. I am not shooting that. I was like, I was like, let me put new strings on it. Well, how much is that going to cost? 120 bucks. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to spend 120 bucks. Well, then I'm not tuning your shit, dude. I I don't know what to tell you. Because yeah. that was back when they had plastic cams. Oh, yeah. You yeah. remember that? And they run like the seal cables in the with the plastic coating. Yeah, dude. I shot I yeah. shot a bare whitetail, too, that had those steel cables with the coating mm-hmm. and had one, sna- one of those cams snap. 
No, really. Like break in half, and dude, that cable wow. comes out of there at mock Jesus. I bet it does. And dude, you got you better close your eyes real fast, otherwise that sucker will take your eye out. <laughs> dude, it, like your eyelid is gonna stop a cable. <laughs> oh, definitely not. But I mean, it's a thought that counts, right? <laughs> but oh my god, that thing came out of there at mock Jesus. I I threw the bow on the ground. I was like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Or better yet, I think I sent you a picture. Remember that old? It was a it was an old old Darton, like one of the Dartons from like the white the Whitetail Two era. Oh yeah. And this kid mm-hmm. brought it in, and he had spray painted it teal. He spray painted the whole thing teal, and <laughs> he, he brought it in. And, he was the funny part, bro. He brought it in in a paper bag. Right? <laughs> he brought it in in a paper bag, and he goes, "Hey, can you build this?" And I said, "Do you got any strings for it?" And he's like, "No." I was like, "Then no, I can't. What do you want me to do with it?" You know? And yeah. dude, he made me tune this thing. So uh, he bought strings. He bought a hundred and twenty dollars set of strings for this thing. Damn. I put these strings on there. By the way, he wanted them to be teal. So he's got this all teal old bow. And I remember I I set it up. I tuned it. And I went to go shoot it through paper, dude. And I felt like I was holding a jackhammer. It just went bang right through your entire body, dude. I was like, this is the biggest hunk of junk I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Oh. Okay, let's get off the topics of bows. Otherwise, we're literally going to sit here all day. Um, okay. Elk hunting. Um, <laughs> difference that you've noticed. I know you haven't had a season in Oregon yet, but mm-hmm. I know damn well that you've been out in the field. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> big differences between Wyoming and Oregon. So let's kind of dive into that and talk about elk, mule deer. I'm kind of the mule deer freak, uh, and you're always – rock hard about elk uh, but uh which is kind of nice though because i can bring you back to earth on the mule deer and then you bring me back to earth on elk it's, right yeah uh, which is nice so uh differences strengths weaknesses compared to what you've been used to basically your whole life okay so growing up in wyoming i mean you just got your rockies you know and so that's what i've grown up hunting and um so it, it's back in wyoming it's just that lodgepole pine forest you know so i mean you, you've got these straight lodgepole pines and very little underbrush so you're you've got these well-defined trails of just solid dirt from where these elk are crossing and 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 then it's they're just very um Man, I don't even know how you would predictable say it. I guess, yeah, I pretty much, yeah, predictable. Um, but they're they're very driven by you know bed, water, and food, right? And so no matter what, you know, I mean, the bulls get stupid in the rut and they don't care, but, but the, the cows will always go to bed and water and food, <laughs> you know? Right, right, so right, right. no matter what, you're going to find them in one of those three places. And although Rockies will roam a lot more, you know, so, I mean, they might have a, a three or four mile circle that they'll run to hit all three of those. 
you know where they're going to be because they're going to be back in there tomorrow. Right, um, right, right, right. So what I've found with these Roosevelt's, because I'm on the coast, I'm over in Eugene now. Um, this is completely different, man. It is ridiculous. I did everybody that I've talked to that's like, oh, man, you should come out and hunt Rosies and it, it's such a cool deal. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it out there, you know. Uh, so I was on um, Go Hunt the other day looking and the <laughs> hunter success rates for a Roosevelt elk with a bow are sitting right about 5%. Yeah, and you know what that five percent is? That's the that's the BRO boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> that's yeah, it's, it's the BRO boys and campaigns. That's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, between those six guys, that's that's Oregon's limit. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, but man, it is it's ridiculous. So like, there's logging roads everywhere which i am not used to man you pull up a, a roadless area in wyoming and every mountain range has these like huge pink areas that are just roadless right. and you can just disappear you yeah. pull it up around here and it's like one little dot here and one little dot there and there it is so hard to get to a place that there isn't an ass load of hikers or an ass load of loggers. Right. So well, and and what Gavin means by roadless is he literally means no roads. Like there's sections of Wyoming like where you could walk 10 miles and not see a, a road. Yeah. So the last place I was hunting with my cousin, we hiked in 3 miles and that was from the trail, right? So mm -hmm. we went off trail three miles, not just off road, <laughs> right? you know? So like you go into a road and then you get on a trail system and you go up the trail system a little ways and then you dive off the trail system and go into the, into the nothingness. And right. that's where you find stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, out here, there is no, it, I mean, from what I've seen, there is no off trail. It's just, changing trails <laughs> right pretty yeah. much yeah you're you're changing trails but you're doing it in a it's a different way because like you got to try it, it's kind of like in the midwest you know in uh, i hate to compare elk hunting to whitetail hunting because it's, it's not similar at all but in in the aspect of like there is no roadless areas in the midwest they're right. like everywhere you can access within a 20 minute walk for the most part. Yeah. You know, like if I want to access one little piece of public land and I got to walk across a field, cool, that's 20 minutes of my day. You know, like mm -hmm. you could probably hike for hours and keep running into people in Oregon because it, I mean, it's the same way here. I, there's, there's sections around where I live that are just known to produce big deer on public land. You go in there during gun season, shit, dude. I, I'm afraid to walk in those places during gun season. Cause, <laughs> and, and I'm dead serious. Like, I'll go out there during bow season, you'll see one, maybe two other people. You go out there during mm -hmm. gun season, dude, it looks like you're at a grad party. With how yeah. many trucks are there, you know? Everybody's <laughs> the there. Is thick. And, 
And I'm like, yep, that's a pass from me today. Um, I'm going to go find a different spot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I choose life. And it's, it's just a totally different world when you go to having full access to these trails. Whereas almost in Oregon, you almost have to find what trail is the longest so that you can get off that trail. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, what's crazy though, is in talking to some of the guys that I work with, a lot of these guys that are hunting rosies, they aren't getting, you know, like the last bull I killed, I was three miles from the pickup down this nasty Canyon. And I told these guys, you know, I'm like, yeah, this wasn't too bad of a pack out. And I, I pull up this on X, you know, tracker of it and, and showed them. And they're like, Oh my God, like I would never do that. And I'm like, why? It's, it's not that bad. And they pull up their on X tracks and it's like three quarters of a mile and they gained 300 feet. And it's just like, wow. Like, <laughs> you know, you guys are killing elk 300 yards from a damn uh, road. And they're like, oh yeah, this, this is just what you do. And so it's really weird. Cause these guys aren't having to, really get out there you know right. there's a road system for everything right because of the logging community is so heavy there yeah uh, and it's different because like you and i hunt for very similar reasons we hunt for not only for food obviously but we hunt mm-hmm. for the adventure portion of it you know and part of like what you loved about wyoming is you were able to go literally get lost for 10 days right like you know how you know how shitty it was when you were on that 10-day hunt and I only got to hear updates about your hunt every third day because that's when you went back to the truck to get food? Right. I was sitting here like because I was I was deer hunting and I shot a buck, my my big buck mm-hmm. while you were elk hunting. And right. And I was like texting you about it and I'm like sitting here waiting by my phone waiting for Gavin to be like, "Yo, tell me the story." And next thing you know, three days later, he's like, hey, I just got back to the truck to get some water. I got 20 minutes to talk. This is what's happened. This is what we're doing next. And then by the time I saw the message, homeboy was already gone again. I was right. like, I was like, damn it. You know, <laughs> like, but like, that's why we do it, you know? And so like, it's a little bit different in Oregon where like, you could literally be back at the truck in 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, another thing that's really got me worried is I'm not used to forest service roads getting shut down. And up here, if the fire level gets high, I guess they just completely shut road systems down. So I'm super, super paranoid to go and it's put a bunch of this time and effort into scouting these places and then have my road system shut down. Right. Because but it's not even like you can't drive in there. They just shut the entire access down altogether. So like you can't even hike in? No, there is zero access, access to it. it. So the way that I understand it. Right. Um, so I'm like, man, I am so skeptical, skeptical because I don't want to put all this effort into it and find a bull and, and you know, just be ready. And then nothing. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you're just up shit creek without a paddle trying to find a new place to hunt but everybody else that was hunting in that area is in the same boat you know 
Right. So, right. Man, yeah. it's, it's going to be sketchy. Yeah. So, but what about like Eastern and Northeastern Oregon? Because Northeastern Oregon, if I remember, is more like flat, I think. Well, it, it's it's not flat. I would I wouldn't say. Um, I mean, it's when, not when you get up into the mountains. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> there are some pretty impressive peaks over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so it's a really st- stupid situation that's going on right now. Oregon has decided that they are going to to take the state and split it into two distinct sections basically so you've got the coastal range that runs down the cascades right Mm -hmm. um anything west of the cascades so from cascades to the pacific ocean they're going to consider that roosevelt country roosevelt country is going to stay uh over the counter whereas everything east of that is going to a limited quota for everything So there's not going to be a single general season on the west or east side of the state as of next year. So interesting tactic, Oregon. Interesting tactic. Exactly. So from what I hear, the reason they're doing this is because almost all of Oregon right now is a general area for archery. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they, so, so it's kind of weird. So with archery, it's it's completely general almost, other than like Waneha or some of these like really coveted tags. Right. Um, but they, for some reason, can't seem to track why um, elk herds are having issues in certain places, and they're not tracking where these guys are killing elk or where they're hunting. You know, so they're not they can't decide why this elk herd is having an issue, whether it's predation or it's maybe there's 12,000 guys in a 42 square mile area or, you know, so I think their plan is to limit the amount of people that are in each unit to see how it helps. Right. Um, I got a solution. (laughs) It's a big brain solution. Okay. All right. We're just going to move to Alaska, say fuck it, and go hunt grizzly bears, black bears, caribou, and all that other cool shit up in Alaska the rest of our life. Stop tempting me with good times. <laughs> that's, that's a simple solution to everything. Yeah, fuck it. Move to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, so here's the cool thing, though. Now that I live in Eugene and – I can make the hour and a half drive up to Portland. It's a $75 flight from here to Ketchikan. <laughs> is it really? It really is, man. It is so cheap. $75? <laughs> yeah, I was looking the other day because I was like, man, I should, I should go back up there and go halibut fishing. Dude, you don't even have to go. Go caribou hunting. Not in Ketchikan. No, you don't have to go in Ketchikan. You can fly well, into Ketchikan. It would be 75 bucks. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying... I was looking at flying into Ketchikan just to go halibut fishing. Right. And yeah, if you're if you're booking it out like a month or two ahead of time, yeah, it, I was finding them for like seventy five or a hundred bucks. I'm like, man, I could make this work. Oh I could spend God. six months in Alaska, <laughs> dude. Like, honestly, you could. Like, 
a caribou tag in Alaska, a non-resident caribou tag on the pipeline in the archery only zone mm-hmm. is like $400. Well, damn. I should look into that. Yeah, it's $400 and it's archery only five miles east and well, whatever way that the pipeline is running. It's five miles on either side of the pipeline is archery right. only. Huh. And there's literally a road that follows the fucking pipeline. Right, yeah. So you literally just drive on the road, you camp in your truck, and then you spot caribou and then you make a stock. Hmm. So when are we doing it? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, let's do it. And for $75, you'd catch me up there every fall doing that. Right, no doubt. I I don't yeah. even know what it costs to do it from here. I'm about to look it up real quick. You, you should look, look it up, up, man. Yeah. I'm literally going to look it up while we're talking. Okay. So I know when I went to the Prince of Wales Islands a couple years ago to go halibut fishing, it was a more expensive flight in that bush plane from Ketchikan to Prince of Wales than it was from Billings, Montana to Ketchikan. Really? Mm-hmm. Juno, Alaska. I'm gonna just do Juno just because I feel like that's a safe place to kind of fly into. Okay, Anchorage, that'll do. Yeah, there you go. Do like September I'm literally about to search this up. <laughs> Dude, did you see do you know who Tyler Friel is? Yeah, dude, he's actually going to be on the podcast in two weeks. Oh, really, dude? He is awesome. I love talking to that dude. Um, Bro, it's only two hundred bucks. Yeah, dude. Like I said, it's cheap. And that's that's if I fly from Minneapolis to Anchorage. See? Yeah, that ain't bad. We need at to all. stop talking about this. Everybody <laughs> else is going to be like, dude, it is cheap to fly to Alaska. <laughs> Yeah, then we're going to go out there and we're going to run into everybody and be like, hey, we heard your podcast and uh, welcome. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Welcome to the pipeline. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I got on Facebook the other day, man, and Tyler Friel has just stacked up another giant bear. And when is he not stacking up a giant bear? I know, right? Well, it was last year he killed that bear with that uh, flintlock. Mm-hmm. The muzzleloader, right? And then the year before that, he killed it with a uh, self bow that he made. Dude, that guy is just—I think he did it with arrows that he made as well, like sinew, yeah, I think sinew so. arrows and like flint heads and everything. Yeah, I think so. I think he flint napped his own broadheads. That guy is more deadly than the bubonic plague, man. He is ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, no. He's more deadly than COVID. Oh man! So you're. You're bringing him up another level there. <laughs> but in all reality, like that guy, he's he knows his stuff, and, and he knows not only a lot about bear hunting, but he knows a lot just about hunting Alaska. Yeah, man, like, he is like, as awesome. a whole. Yeah. Or uh, who's that other guy, Justin Schaefer? The I don't know him. He's a Kuyu guy. Shoots for Hoyt. Uh, he was a military okay. guy. He, uh, dude, that guy has shot like seven or eight doll sheep with a Hoyt. Really? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, he shot a bunch of doll sheep up there. He lives up in Alaska. 
Right. And uh, that guy's just a killer, too. I want to get him on here, too, and talk to him. Um, but, dude, it, the opportunity... Wow, we're going down another rabbit hole here. But <laughs> the opportunity just around the country right now with how COVID has been, like... Last year, I was—I actually had a booked hunt to Canada, mm-hmm. and I had paid for it. I had taken time off for it. I was going to go up to Canada and shoot a fat black bear because remember I went through that little phase where I was just like super addicted to black bears for some reason, mm, right? <laughs> and uh, so I had booked a hunt up there, and I booked a hunt in Minnesota for a bear hunt, right? And. So I was going to go up to Canada, come back, stay in Minnesota for a week, and then go up to northern Minnesota and shoot a black bear in mm-hmm. northern Minnesota. Shoot, like, three bears in, like, the span of a month. Right. And then dive into whitetail hunting. And then COVID hit. And the guide up in Canada refunded me my money, and they canceled the, the guide down here in Minnesota. They got shut down by the DNR. Oh, really? Like, they, they shut down all all guide services for bear hunting in Minnesota. You could still bear hunt, but you couldn't do it guided because they didn't want people close to each other. Oh, Because okay. of COVID. So, like, if somebody came from out of state, like a heavy mm-hmm. COVID state, and then came here to bear hunt, they didn't want that happening. So both my hunts got axed, you know? And uh. so then I bought a new bow instead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Like, the opportunity the last two years has been really weird other than, like, in your home state. Yeah. Because it's like, mm-hmm. you, I didn't know what I was... Like, I wanted to put in for mule deer last year in Utah, and but I didn't want to put in, and then all of a sudden we go through a lockdown, and now I just spent all this money on a tag, and in the lower 48, they're not going to refund me. Right. And then not be able to go you know and Mm -hmm. because there's a lockdown so it's been really weird it's been kind of weird getting back into the swing of like starting to plan a hunt because it's you plan hunts differently now than you did back then because you actually have to worry about well you don't really have to worry about it as much anymore but you had to worry about covid yeah Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people were the same way like my deer hunting last year was so weird because it was like all right do I want to go on public land and what if somebody has COVID and they're out hunting and then I get COVID and I wasn't worried about dying, but like, then I go see my grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, right. and then my grandparents get COVID. Um, that was like a big thing for me is it was just, it was really weird. I don't know if you experienced any kind of weird as far as hunting went last year, just being, it just felt different. Yeah, dude, I got screwed out of my bear last year because of COVID. So when in Wyoming, it was the first year that that I had tried to to bait, right? So I had to go through the process of of going through and finding a, a spot and registering a bait. And me and my boys went up there and and set this bait up, and uh, we we set it up a little higher than we probably should have. So it was still in the snow for for a little while um but you can set it up you can set a bait up a week before the season opens so it opens up and then they have an archery season which is i think it's two weeks long and then it opens up into a general season and uh so my bait sat there and right at the end of the archery season 
it started getting out of the snow. So I was, man, I was really, really excited to start seeing some bears. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that general season opened and COVID hit and it shut down everything. So all of these people just had free time. Right. Right. And they went out and they bought bear tags and they closed the season down in like three days. Because in Wyoming, they have a, a female mortality rate for the units. Mm-hmm. So in the unit that I was hunting, they combined that unit with uh, the n- unit north of, of that one. Um, and there can only be six females killed in both of those units. They filled that in three days. Yeah, and then didn't you say like once that, once that quota per se gets filled, they just close that unit for the rest of the season? Yeah, the entire season gets shut down. So once they kill six females, nobody's hunting anymore. Right. And and you you didn't even get to go out, did you? No, it it closed down on a Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. So I was like, I was packing my stuff up into the truck to get ready to go up. You know, I'm loading up bait and and whatnot for the everything I need for the boys and. And I check the quota, and it's like your your season's closed. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's been a weird last year. You know, just in the last year, it was granted last season. I probably had one of the best whitetail seasons I've had in a long time. Um, right. But it was because I had so much free time that I just. And I wasn't worried about going out of state because I didn't want to get screwed over going out of state. And so I just hit the ground running when it came to whitetails. And I don't know if you recall, but last season I actually started the season with a trad bow and ended the season yep. with a compound. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I bought a new bow in the middle of season, set it up, and then went out hunting and shot my buck like three days yep. after getting a new bow. And, yeah, I remember that. And so just the last year in general as far as hunting in the outdoors in general has went it's been it's been odd it's it's been very odd yeah that's for sure but i figure we should probably wrap this up we're at about an hour and 15 minutes here uh and i know that we could go on for 10 more ever Ever. (laughs) so but we will definitely be linking back up and doing another one gavin um so Again, Gavin, thanks for getting on the horn. Uh, we haven't like talked on the phone in a long time because we've both been so busy with your move and the bow smithing and all that stuff. But uh, I always appreciate talking to you and bullshitting. So yeah, man, anytime. Yeah, I'm super excited to send this bow that I, you know, my new com or my compound and and this new set of strings. Yeah, yeah, uh, dude, I'll get you. I'm, all I'm really excited to see how Nick's uh, strings do, man. Yeah, I'm excited too, Nick. And I told Nick this right up front. He was like, "Well, who do you have for a string manufacturer?" And I told him, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Well, how much are you paying?" And he's like, "Well, I can get it to you cheaper." And I was like, "Well, I'd want to buy a set from you and try them out for at least a year before I went into any kind of dealership ordeal, just because right. the strings I have now, the first set I ever put on them." Uh, of them on a bow was on a 87 pound traverse with wake limbs okay yeah and that, after oh yeah mm-hmm. uh, like if there's a bow that's going to test a string that's it right you know yeah. and i set that bow up in two years later 
I just messaged the guy who owns that bow recently. The the tune hasn't changed. The peep hasn't Damn. twisted. The tune hasn't changed. Nothing has changed on it. And he shoots about 100 arrows a week. Mm. And so for me, wow. I was like, I, I don't really have a reason to change yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just me. Um, right. You and I are kind of the same in that aspect. We find something that we like and we just stick to it. You know, I've been shooting those rampage arrows for shit six years now. <laughs> right. You know, because yeah. I'll switch to something and then I just always end up going back to them. Is, but again, we will definitely get on the horn again. Uh, everybody, I appreciate you guys tuning into the podcast. Uh, definitely be looking out for more of Gavin and I laughing.